Chapter Three of Gypsy, the Talking Dog, a story for young folks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carrie Sherrock. Gypsy, the Talking Dog, a story for young folks by Tudor Jenks. Chapter Three: The Home of Helen and Christopher. Christmas morning always seems a little different from other mornings. The sun rises more slowly, at least until it is just over the edge, and then, as you reach up to pull out the pin that holds your stocking to the edge of the mantle, the sun rises and climbs up the sky so as to peep in at the window and see what Santa Claus has been using to stuff the stocking out until it looks like a battered leg. One Christmas, a little girl woke up very early, so early she couldn't see the face of the clock. She tried to go to sleep again, but could not. Then she began to talk to herself. Now, she said, it is either Christmas Eve or else it is Christmas morning. If it is Christmas Eve, I ought to go to sleep again so as not to bother my mother. But if it is Christmas morning, I want to get up and see what's in my stocking. I don't see how I can tell which it is unless I can see the clock. So she jumped out of bed and went over to the mantel. The hearth was cold to her feet but she stood on tiptoe and found that the clock hands pointed to half-past three. "'There now,' she said. "'I was wrong both ways. It isn't Christmas Day and it isn't Christmas Eve. So what is it?' Then there came into her head the answer in verse. "'Twas the night before Christmas.' But while she was thinking over the lines, suddenly she noticed that the room was very still and noticed that the clock was not ticking. "'The clock is not going,' said she. If that isn't the meanest thing I ever knew, just when I don't know what time it is. I wish I had a watch. Maybe I'll get one this Christmas. By this time, Helen, which was her name ever since she was baptized, had crawled into bed again and was crouched close up to the headboard. She did not want to be a bother, and yet she did so wish to get the stocking that was hung in her mother's room. While she was wondering about the watch, she suddenly saw that the sky was a rosy hue, and then she knew that the sun was coming up, that it wasn't Christmas Eve, and that it was Christmas Day. With a flying leap she was out of bed, and was looking wildly for the armholes of her wrapper or bathrobe. In order to lose no time, she tried to find her slippers with her feet. The more haste, the less speed. While Helen was trying hard to thrust one arm into the pocket of her robe and one toe through the heel of her slipper, she heard a bugle call on a toy bugle, and then she knew that her brother, Chris, christened Christopher, was already up and doing his best to undo Santa Claus's work in stocking packing. Chris always gets ahead of me, said Helen, either because he's a boy or because I'm a little scatterbrain, I'm not sure which. Helen unwound herself from the tangle she was in, put on the bathrobe first and the slippers next, and then tore away through the hallway to her mother's room. She knocked. A voice said, Come in, old Merry Christmas and Helen was before the stockings. Christopher was on the floor surrounded by a ring of presents, the bugle, a box of soldiers, a sword, a gun, a knapsack, and a general military outfit. This was because Chris was just at the age when he loved soldiers better than anything else. He was far down toward the toe of his stocking, and Helen knew that she would have to hurry to catch up with him. How the pink ribbons and tissue paper did fly! It was like a snowstorm in the apple orchard in springtime. First came the very thing she wanted most, then came what she wanted next, and then her third choice. Below that was a box of chocolates, 
and then something nearly as good, and so on until she had come quite to the very end, and there she found the best possible gift to go in the toe of a Christmas stocking. What was that? A five-dollar gold piece. Did you get one too, Chris? asked Helen. Chris made no direct answer in words, but he put his gold piece into his eye like an eyeglass, saying, Ah, oh, Wheelie, excuse me, ah. After a hurried examination of the presents, the two children were hustled out of the room, with strict orders to dress and get down to breakfast as soon as they could when they really tried, and, considering that it was Christmas, they made good time. After breakfast came the presents that Santa Claus had left downstairs for fear of waking the family by bumping them up the steps. No matter what these were, it was enough to say that, after the bundles were all unwrapped, the parlor looked as if there had been an explosion in a toy store, with a ribbon maker's next door on one side and a paper maker's next door on the other side, and Chris and Helen were busy and happy among the ruins. On Christmas Day, there comes a time when the mother of the family says, Come, children, surely you're not going to spend all this beautiful day indoors. A brisk walk over the snow in the sunshine will brighten you up wonderfully. And then the children say everything they can think of to prove that fresh air is not good for them, that they have been walking too much for their health, that they can go better any other time, that nobody ever goes walking on Christmas Day, that they don't want to, that, of course, they will if Mother says so, that they thought she didn't mean what she said, that, and then they'll go. Christopher and Helen thought they were going to be very unhappy over leaving their toys, but to their surprise, they found they enjoyed being away from them for a while. Besides, they weren't away from all of them, for Christopher had his new four-bladed pocket knife, and Helen had her new gloves with fur around the wrists, and they could talk about all the others. It was a delightful day, just cold enough to remind them it was winter, and with enough snow on the ground to make it a real white Christmas. Christopher and Helen lived in the country, and yet it was not far from the city, and their father went in and out on the train every business day. They thought this was the best way to live. They had all the pleasures of both city and country, and knew how to enjoy each in turn. Chris was explaining this to Helen as they walked along. You see, Helen, said he, if we were real country children, we might not know just what to do with our gold pieces. There are not many ways of spending money in the country, you know, and so I suppose we'd have to put our money in one of those little iron banks and leave it there till, well, maybe till we were grown up. I wouldn't like that, would you? No, Helen answered. I'd rather keep mine in my pocket until I go to the city, and then I can go into one of the big toy stores. Have you brought yours with you? Chris asked, drawing his from his pocket. Here it is, said Helen. It's in this purse and she held up a blue silk purse with two cut steel rings upon it. While they were talking, they were walking along a road that led up over a hill to the next town, a small place with one business street and a number of little houses. They had now come to a place about halfway between their own home and the town, where there was a grove of tall trees. As they reached the top of the hill, they saw smoke rising from this grove and wondered what it could come from. Going a little farther, they saw two or three wagons in the grove, and around these a number of men, women, and children. A crackling fire made of dead branches was blazing on the ground, and upon the ashes around it were some pots and pans. The people seemed to be cooking their breakfast. I believe they are gypsies, said Chris in a low voice. What are gypsies? asked Helen. I don't know much about them, Chris answered, except that they don't live in houses, but go around in their wagons and live outdoors, 
I wish I was one. I think you're silly, said Helen. I'd rather have a comfortable house. Anyway, I'm going to speak to them, Chris said after a pause. Aren't you scared? Helen asked. Scared? No, was Chris's answer. I heard father and mother talking about gypsies the other day, and he said he thought there was no great harm in them. Whether there is any harm in them or not, Helen insisted, I don't think you ought to go nearer them without father's knowing it. Let's go home and tell him about finding the camp and see what he says. Chris was very curious about the gypsies and would have liked to talk to some of the boys he saw near the camp, but his love for soldiers had led him to learn how soldiers act, and he felt sure that he ought not to take any risks so long as Helen was with him. His father had often said that it was Christopher's duty to look after his sister's safety always and never to give Helen any needless alarm. So now, remembering all he had been taught, Christopher gave the order, Right about face, forward, march. Helen turned at once, and the brother and sister started for home. They had not gone far when they heard a sudden shout behind them and a scampering of feet. They looked back and saw one of the gypsies chasing a little dog. The man was coming toward them and running as fast as he could go. But, fast as he ran, the little dog ran faster, and long before the man reached the two children, the dog had passed them and was far ahead. The gypsy, seeing he could not catch the dog, began to pick up stones and throw them after the flying animal. But all the stones went wild, and the dog, turning suddenly, darted into the woods and disappeared from view. The gypsy, muttering to himself, turned back and walked along the road toward the camp, until the hill hid him from view. The children made their way home, seeing neither the dog nor the gypsy again, and until they told their father about seeing the gypsy encampment, Chris and Helen thought no more about the runaway and the pursuer that night, being completely occupied with their Christmas presents. And that was the first time that Chris and Helen saw the little gypsy dog. End of chapter 3